Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Sorry, no. Sorry, I just wrote it too far. Hotep, hotep. Hotel, brother, are you there? you brother Hotel, hotel. Followed by the pound key. 
You can access the episode up to Talk to you live. This episode is being recorded and streamed live on TalkShoe.com. Please press 1 to accept and enter the online studio. You are joining the online studio. You are unmuted and can speak with the host. Hotel, brother, what's going on? Oh, nothing. These uh, technical difficulties, I guess. Here, um, I, I can't come in visually, but so I'm so I'm on the phone. Uh, uh, so you can, um, sorry, I'm late getting in. You, you can you can catch me up. I don't want to interrupt anything. Uh, is it just me and you? No, I'm interrupting because I was waiting on you. Nobody else has showed up. Andre said he was going to show up later, but uh. Yeah, we'll do- yeah. I just called. I, I just called him to walk me through, you know. And he said he was on another call. And uh, so wh- while I while I've got you, uh, how do you usually go on? What I do is I I click on Galaxy Talk. The mothership pops up. Then I click on your picture, right? Yeah, but uh, well, how are you coming in? Are you coming in on the computer? Well, that's what I've been trying to do. So I just I just said let me try the phone, but. Um, I'm still trying to come in on the computer. If I do, then I'll switch over. But uh, um, when I come in on the computer, um, yeah, on the phone, I just I just dial the call in and put the show ID and then uh, one in the pound sign. But um, I clicked on your ID. You. I click on your I and I click on your ID. <laughs> and, uh, the whole galaxy, the whole galaxy thing comes up and it says episode seventy one, the mothership, right? Mm. Right. Then, 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 what do I do? Do I click on your picture where the episode seventy-one is? It says live. Yeah, well, you know, off to the right, it should say uh, "Join the Studio Live." Do you see that? Off to the right, it says "Watch Live" in red, right? Yeah. Yeah, watch live in red. I just clicked on that. Now the thing's turning in the middle. Talk to you thing is turning. Mm-hmm. Then it's still turning. Up oh, now it looks like there's a. I've seen something that I didn't see before after trying it. So now I'm hitting the play button. Then it's still turning. Up. Oh, so now I can hear my own voice. There's a. Something that, let me see. I'm hitting the online studio. Going around and around and around and around. Well, I don't know. You know, they may be messing with the stuff. You know, I know we've been at. I've been down out here yeah. for the last. And a half, and uh, yeah. So you know. now, so now I'm looking at my looking at myself in my own room, like my camera's just pointing back at me. Yeah, but it's not showing up here, and I don't know why. Is yeah. that the way you where you you're there's, on there's, your phone? There's, there's, the no, there's there's nothing where you're supposed to let me in or anything, right? You just unmute me or something. No, there's nothing here because you're already unmuted. Participant hands are raised. Okay, let me see what that does. That's, okay. you, you still don't come in. I don't know what that's about. Oh, wait a minute. And waiting room. Admit. Okay. That's the Galaxy Chief. What's up, Chief? Chief. Okay. That's the Galaxy Chief. What's up, Chief? 
Oh, well, I guess that is. I don't know what's going on. Are you still there, Corey? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm still here. I'm, I'm on the phone end as I was trying to get in. Uh, I'm going to hit the chief and see if he can talk me. See if he can talk. If he can talk me into this thing. This is. I mean, it's hard to get. It's hard to get. It's hard to get anybody come in with this being just constantly, just constant issues like this. Well, they, you know, they've changed up. The Galactic Radio has changed up some stuff. So I'm not exactly sure what's going on, but I'm on here and you on here. I see your telephone number for a box, but it is a big block mm-hmm. where you. Your picture would be, and I'm not sure how because yeah. there's not here. There's this participant hand raised. Okay, here's the chief. Are you that chief? Chief. See, I see that. Wait, did you leave, Corey? <laughs> chief, how are you? I'm cool, brother. I'm cool. I'm what happened? I don't know if when you came on, you're not Corey. Yeah, there he is now. Hotel, Wait a minute, are you coming in under Galaxy Talk Radio or are you coming in under court? Under court? No, I'm coming in under Galaxy Talk Radio. No, no, I'm talking to Corey on the phone. Oh, oh. Draw me, draw me a picture, babe. Okay, while I finish this up, okay. No, I do already. Let me see. That's pretty. I did it. You did it. Yeah, but I didn't want you to see. Oh yeah. Mhm. Okay. Because it was a surprise. Are you still talking to him? Yeah. You gotta log in first. Yeah, up at the top it says log in. Well, you do. Right, right. You, you, you click on Quaku's picture, right? Yeah, okay, when you hear this picture, then what happens? So what's going on, Steve? Uh, man. Yeah, it'll be- Look like we is call call space void. Call, call space void. 
and he'll, 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 he'll guide you through it. Yeah, yeah. As he's sitting right there in his computer. All right, okay, all right. Yeah, so what's going on, man? Uh, this is a... Uh... I don't know. He's calling me. His mm. issues, he, you know, you're supposed to call Space Boy with this stuff. Yeah, well, I I called him last time. I had a problem, but I didn't have no problem getting in, so I went right on in. And so I'm not sure what's going on. Yeah. The reason why, because normally when he comes in, it, it you know, uh, yeah. So what's up, brother? Oh man, you know, just trying to. Get past this year. You know, everybody makes a big deal out of bad how bad this year is. Yeah. And uh want to get into next year. And so hopefully, man, that next year is gonna start out to be a like Gil Scott Harris said, the first minute of a new day. Yeah, well man, it's uh yeah, I know. It it, it you go through phases. I mean, because I get people talking about, do, do you get depressed? I said, no, I'm not depressed. I just, I don't, I don't want to be in this position, but you know, I'm not depressed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it has to do with mindset, you know, which is what's going to be part of the topic tonight, and how we think, and why we think the way we think. Why so many people are, uh, are medicated or have all these so-called mental illnesses and so forth. Because they, you know, when they're put into a tough situation, we used to have a saying down home when I was down on the farm when I was a boy, when the going get tough, the tough get going. And I think that mentally we are not adaptable. Man was is disposed to be the most adaptable creature on the planet. But when you look at the generations that are in existence now, they, they fall apart at the smallest crisis. Nobody likes being locked up in the house and not seeing their families and, you know, all this kind of stuff. But, you know, you can sit there and cry about it or you can try to busy yourself doing the process. So I've been doing a lot of writing personally myself. You know, I sit up all night, work on my book and uh, that I'm working on and and try to be creative. Use that time to create something instead of sitting around thinking about, God, I'm locked up in this in this space. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> so that, that's that's what it is, man. And I get calls out of people now they want to call me with, with with free therapy and I said, Well look, I I sympathize with you, but I gotta make a living too, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I get a lot, man, we ain't got no money. I say, Yeah, I understand that. I don't have no money, but I can't afford to be, you know, doing this. I do it you know, periodically for people that I've known for a long time. But uh, I'm not taking on no new clients to, you know, to be sitting up spending all this time dealing with people's problems and not able to take care of my own at present to some degree. You know, I'm just I'm just I'm just getting by. That's all I'm doing. You know, hoping to make it into twenty twenty one and 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 break out with something. You know, I, yeah. I think I have my book finished by the end of January, and so I should have it ready before spring jump in here, you know, from the publishing. So if I can get my hands on a few dollars, I'm going to try to promote 
and and do that stuff. Hey, did you get the um, thing that I sent? Mitch McConnell uh -huh. didn't want us to get those two rats, man. He wanted he well, you know, he was going to do that. He did, he didn't have no choice because. First of all, I think they said it was going just for those two racks for all of the people they have in mind. It's like $750 billion or something like that. And, uh, you know, what, what's amazing about this whole thing is originally they was offering $1.878 trillion. Then they broke it all the way down and, and, and did this thing. They was okay. Now, this would run it back up to where it would be like $1.7 or $8 trillion. And they said, well, we can't put that on the, on the taxpayers of the future taxpayers back. But, uh, uh, you know, my thing is that the, the money that they're taking in for taxes more than covers any. It's not like we have these crises every day. You know, sure, we have fires and we have a hard tornado uh, season, but. There's more than enough money that's that's brought in and by and also by when they bring those taxes in, those taxes are put in a bank, in the world bank, and they are drawing interest or they are invested. So who's taking that money off of those investments, which would be to cover any uh, situation that would take place? But uh, these people have a system in place. And. Uh, you know, they're not going to go against it because the minute they start to show weakness, then they figure they, they're losing their grip on on controlling the people and, 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 and the situation. So it's uh, people have to be aware of that most people are not aware of that. And they, you know, they 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 walk around feeling sorry for themselves. But, you know, like I was telling my son, you know, this is this is what it is. buddy. you know, it's, it's wake up time. You know, you you know, he said, well. I never seen nothing like this. He's 30 years old. I said, well, yeah, you haven't seen anything like that. But you guys never had it. They never had it the way that you and I had it. You know, I had to work my tail off. I was working when I was seven years old in the field. You know, talk about so uh, I know what it's like to struggle. I know what it's like to not to have money. And, uh, you know, Steve, I was on that time out here. He was homeless. You know, I slept in Grand Central Station. In, 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 in Manhattan for like eight or nine months. You know, so I know it's in the middle of the winter. I know what it's like to be homeless on the street and don't know which way to go and don't want to quit. I didn't want to commit any crimes or anything, so I couldn't get a job. I didn't have a stationary place to be able to do the things that I needed to do. So I slept in there. You know, every night I went to Grand Central State. I get out there and be hustling whatever I could hustle during the day and, and, and go to Grand Central Station and sleep at night. And, uh, well, you know, and I, that I was late. Yeah, I, I, but see, I, I know you, but I don't know you. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that was late on. That was late yeah. on because originally, you know, I lived in Harlem. So what we used to do. Well, let me ask you, what led you to living at that, I mean, uh, I'm assuming you grew up with your immediate family, mother, father, brothers, and sisters. I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't grow up with a mother and father. My father was murdered when I was nine. My mother left when I was like five, and so I was passed around to different aunts and uncles and cousins, and I wound up in Brooklyn, man. And you know, when I got to be like seventeen, uh, 
there were no jobs for black men in Brooklyn. Brooklyn probably had probably had an 80 percent African-American unemployment among African men because you couldn't get into unions. None of the factors would hire you. So that's why you see those guys out there with those squeegees cleaning the car windows and begging and hustling on the corner because right. they just nothing to do. So after I got tired of that and I was sleeping in a room with me and my with two cousins, a one room place in Brooklyn, brother. <laughs> Now, this was in like 61, 60. No, wait a minute. It was 59, 60. Yeah, 59 and 60. You know, like from 50, 50. Yeah, 59 was when I graduated from high school. And uh, after that, man, it was like, you know, my cousin told me, man, come over here. Come across. I was living in D.C. And he'd come over here, man. You can make some money. I get over there and ain't no jobs nowhere. You know what I'm saying? So this and, was right before you hooked up with Malcolm. Man. Yeah, yeah. This was, you know, it was before that because then after I got tired of that mess, I went to Boston. And uh, I always tell people I, I got my basic training in Boston because they taught me, myself, yeah, brother, so you're going to have to hustle. Ain't nobody giving you nothing. This is gangster all the way. And I learned how to do that stuff. I learned how to survive. And I was hustling every which way you can hustle to make a dollar. And, uh, you know, it was during that process that I think in the late, uh, you know, when was it? It was like 60 something when when Malcolm and me used to come on the street up there in, in Boston. They was always on the street. That was when they was, everybody was selling bean pies and Muslims was on every corner trying to convince you to come down to the temple. And he used to always talk to us because he'd see us out there hustling. He said, man, you guys are wasting life away. I said, yeah, you know, hey, I ain't selling no bean pies and no Muhammad Peaks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this, this, this is going to be my hustle. And then uh, I used to hang out with this group of guys, and, and you know, we was all in the joint together. I, in fact, I had got busted, went to jail up there in Boston. And when I came out, this brother told me, he said, hey, man, you need to come on with us. I think Malcolm had just got came back from Mecca. And in fact, we talked to them that night that he got killed because we were supposed to have been at, at the Audubon Ballroom, but we couldn't get a flight out of Boston in time to make it there in time for him to talk, speak. So we had to listen to it on the radio. I was actually sitting listening to the radio when he spoke and when the shots rang out. Oh, man, you actually heard the, the killer. Oh, yeah, yeah. We were, It was like seven of us brothers in this apartment in Dorchester. And we had all decided that we were going to be a part of the new movement. We had joined up with them, so okay. And we talked to Earl, which was his main guy over there. And Earl said, yeah, you guys stay in Boston. So we come into Boston tomorrow night, and you guys can set it up and provide the security and stuff for us. So we were supposed to be the security next night in Boston. and and But we did listen to it on the radio. And soon as the stuff started, and we heard the whole scenario live. I'll be there. Yeah, yeah, man. That's so, that's uh, that's yeah. that's and shoot, man. Yeah, when we walked out of there, man, I, I tell you, it. I remember the mood because everybody was gung ho and ready for the revolution. And when we walked out of that apartment that night, man, I don't know. Everybody was saying, "Yeah, well, we're going to continue to fight," but you could just hear it in their voices that. You probably wasn't going to see these people ever again, <laughs> and and that's pretty much the way it uh, it worked out. 
until I went back to Boston to visit. But then I ran into let me ask you, those brothers that were involved in that assassination, and I know you had some other things you said about it, that the shots coming from up above, but those brothers that were um, caught, how mm -hmm. come there's never, ever any interviews with these cats? It's sort of like they just disappeared from the planet. Well, they did interview one of the dudes when he got out of jail. In fact, I, I've seen. I it, it, it might even be up on YouTube, and but he swearing that uh, he didn't do it. But they had one guy on there, and he said he did it. In fact, he was a cold monster, and I, I I really didn't understand his psychology because, you know, there was this misconception that somehow Malcolm was a snitch and and it went and snitched on Elijah Muhammad, which was bullshit. It was a lie. But these guys, that were, that's what I'm talking about. When you get into revolutions, you got to understand the psychology of the people you're dealing with. These guys who had never did anything did in their life ex before they've joined the Muslims. And so to them, you know, this was like the first black organization, real black owned, black ran organization in America. And so these guys, they felt like, wow, Malcolm has, has, has went against us personally. And so they kind of took it personal, but I still think it was a setup. And 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 so from, from the information that I read and studied on it, uh, because uh, Dick Gregory had said that they, he had talked to Malcolm that night before, and uh, and 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 Malcolm told him he was going to speak and wanted him to be there, and he said no. He said and Greg, I don't know if you heard Greg Dick talk about it. He said, no, I'm not going to be there. He said, they, that way they'll get two, two of us at one time. Because yeah. this thing was already set up. In fact, Dick was in Chicago. He made sure that he wasn't in New York that night. And, and you know, I don't know what I was lucky or what, but we that we couldn't get a flight out of Boston because it was late in the evening and, the, and he was supposed to speak about 7.30, uh, 8 o'clock or something. And I think it was like after four and we called Logan Airport trying to get a flight and they said, we, we can't get you nothing. They're going to get you there in time. So we decided to stay in Boston, listen to it, and prepare for him to be in Boston the next night. Let me ask you something you said earlier. You said that Malcolm was accused of snitching on Elijah Muhammad, but that yeah. was a lie. Yeah, but that was what, a lie because what, it, it was Herbert. Happened? It was Herbert who exposed uh, Elijah Muhammad sleeping with all those young girls. You know, it was his own son. And yeah. so Malcolm, yeah. he came to Malcolm and Malcolm discarded it. He he, he didn't even want to hear about it. But then these brothers, for whatever reason, he, uh, uh, Farrakhan, that's why I don't trust Farrakhan today. I don't like him. And I don't care what people say, how yeah. good he's. I don't trust the guy. In fact, Malcolm uh, even said before he was died that this guy was. You know, he was jealous of Malcolm, and so were some of them other people who was at the top of that organization. Yeah. And so they were all in groups, you know, making these statements. Yeah. And yeah. Too, it, yeah. the power of suggestion is, is real good. It's just like when you get these uh, people running around doing these killings in schools and churches and stuff. Somebody like that, all you got to do is just say, uh, somebody ought to do it. And these guys may have took it on themselves. But, you know, you know there was a conspiracy because... The police that were supposed to be there providing security that day, and normally they would have been there just to ensure. They, 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 
that that was not going to be yeah but what happened was the cop the cop that was supposed to be the head person on duty that night he got a call from the station told him lose yourself don't be anywhere near the mall the the Audubon ballroom so you know that wasn't Mm -hmm. slick and not only that you know we never they never really was able to get the kind of information out as far as what how he was the bullets penetrated his body and from what you know if you ever in there if you ever been in the bar i went in there i took my grandkids in there look at it they even have a statue right in the floor there where a stand where he was actually shot when he where he was standing when he fell but up above that there was a, a like up in the ceiling there was an opening mm-hmm. up there like it was like an attic mm-hmm. and, and they say some of the bullets the bullets came down they did not come up at the stage the bullets mm-hmm. came down Mm-hmm. And so I heard that one. Unless you can get the autopsy papers and all that kind of stuff, you would never know. But it was just strange that I mean, you know, you know, they was out to get Malcolm because at this time, uh, the white establishment really started to become fearful of him because all right, he's he's now he's left the so-called black Muslims and he's being inclusive of everybody in terms of the revolution and talking about going to the United Nation and all this stuff filing a suit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so now they was afraid that this guy was going to become more of a of a, a spokesman for the for the people than Martin Luther King. And not only that, at that particular time, Martin somebody's phone's ringing. Yeah, that's the uh, uh, the chief sir. But yeah, man, uh, it was it was uh, a Malcolm, Malcolm and Martin. Malcolm and Martin were getting a lot closer at the time Martin got assassinated. Well, Malcolm was the one who said when uh, told him when they was talking about killing King. He said, "Well, if you do, we'll be down there to take care of it." So that they knew that Malcolm was serious, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. so they, you know, they figured when he left the Muslims and he became a free entity. And he was his 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 base was becoming more broad because you didn't have to be a Muslim to belong to the EOOC, the uh, the uh, Organization for African American Unity. All you had to do was want to join and support the policy and the philosophy. And so to them, that was more threatening than the separatist thing that Elijah Muhammad was doing. And see, Elijah Muhammad was a gangster because they wanted this group to be separate. Like they run it just the way these people run these churches. They don't want to incorporate. Like like, 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 like Yosef Bay in this. Yeah, they don't want to incorporate with nobody else because then uh, it takes away from their power. It takes away from their financial uh, thing that they're trying to do. But, uh, you know, Malcolm, man, uh, he was a hell of a guy. He was he was definitely yeah. uh, the man that if he, if he had lived, he would have been a bigger threat than all of those guys. And they knew it because, you know, one of the things that they always said about Malcolm, I don't know if you ever heard it or not, but they said they, they the media made Malcolm. And the reason they did it because, yeah, they thought they had a guy who had, a lot of people didn't know Malcolm didn't finish high school. Malcolm didn't go to school. Mm-hmm. He studied while he was in jail and stuff. And plus, he'd mm-hmm. come from the background. His family, his father was was like in the, in an organization, and his father yeah. was who wanted, who wanted Garvin. Garvin. Who wanted him dead? Huh? Who wanted Malcolm dead? Well, the brothers and the, the, the brothers, the head uh, Hancho was up there in Chicago. There was the head of the uh, 
the uh, so-called black Muslim movement and the federal government. You know, I mean, you know, they wanted him because they had not only this. Uh, that attic that I was talking about above the Audubon Ballroom was rented was rented by the CIA or somebody one week before Malcolm was supposed to speak there. Now, what the hell would they be renting this spot up there for? And so that coincides with the people talking about those bullets came down and he was shot in the back as well as the front from these. Those guys were just a setup. I think I really and believe. And, and, and that's a good question, Dr. Dr. Kwaku, about CIA, because their charter is is uh, abroad. It's not domestic. It's supposed to be the FBI that, that yeah. operates locally. Well, they followed him when he went to uh, to Mecca and went all over Africa. And, you right. know, here yeah. we that they said nobody, when Malcolm went to Africa, no other leader had ever brought all those African leaders to a conference to sit yeah. down and talk mm-hmm. about the Africa and the, and the Negro thing. So they knew mm-hmm. this guy was the threat that they needed to deal with. They was going to have to find a way to nullify him. And that's why they was trying to manipulate Elijah Muhammad them to let Malcolm back in the Muslim, but he didn't want to go back. You know, they wanted him back mm-hmm. in there because they felt like we have some control over his actions if he's in that organization. But when he got out there on his own, man, and, and started the EOOC, it's all, no, we we, we got to stop. The government went to Elijah Muhammad to tell him to let Malcolm back in? Well, I, what they did was, they well, see, here's the way that stuff worked. They always, they just like they infiltrated the Black Panthers out here. There are some snitches in there, so set up somebody in, on the inside to bring them information about what's going on. And from what I understand that they were trying to, from what Dick Gregory was saying, was that they were trying to get Elijah Muhammad and them, or either the leaders up there in Chicago, because by this time, Elijah Muhammad was half as senile and sick and going through a bunch of changes. Mm-hmm. They were trying to get them. We want Malcolm back in the in the in the in the, in the unit because that way we can kind of control. We, we you know there'll be more control. They'll have the control over him. And and see, once Malcolm got out of there, there was no chance in the world of Malcolm going back in him because he realized that he had been handcuffed all this time. You know, all this yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And so he said, "Oh, wait a minute! Now I can really become." Uh, revolutionary because Elijah Muhammad and them they had no intentions of that being a, a revolutionary organization. See, I think people misinterpret that. He right. was to stay away from politics. He just what it was like a cult, just like a church, like a lot of these Baker yeah. Americans yeah. we have now. Mm-hmm. That's all it was, and a few people was getting rich, and the rest of the people was out there working their butt off. Because I knew guys was out there selling pies and newspapers and had to sleep in a ten dollar room. You know what I'm talking about? They weren't making no money. Yeah. They was walking around in yeah. suits. Promoting, you know, uh, uh, the uh, the black Muslim, but they wouldn't get nothing. Mm-hmm. In fact, a good friend of mine had a restaurant in New York, and uh, uh, they came in. He joined the Muslim. And I told him, I said, "Man, you better watch these people," you know, because I was kind of felt like I was kind of hip to what was going on. And he had told me, he said, "Man, yeah. I Muslim," and and his, his restaurant had been in his family for like fifty or sixty years. And they came in and told him he couldn't sell no pork in there no more. And he went, the place went up, belly up. He, he lost his business. Hey, hey, <laughs> hey, hey, hey what, you, what, what you're talking about is exactly 
what happened with LV's Barbecue over here on San Pablo near Stanford Street where Joseph Bay and the Muslims set up there. They bought that whole corner right there by you, Andre, off 59th or something. And remember LV's Barbecue? And they went and said, well, you paying rent to us now. We bought this whole corner. It had that red awning of the, moose, of the uh, nation colors along all those places. They had people living upstairs. They had bought apartments and stuff. And they said, you can stay in business. You just can't sell any pork. And he kept selling pork. And they, brought, and they dragged him out in the middle of the street, threw his food out there, beat him up. He packed up, moved over there by Eli's <laughs> mile high room after that. Yeah, the Muslims, these, these so-called black Muslims were stretchers, man. They were like a mobsters. You know, if you didn't, yeah, I, yeah. I know one time me and, uh, you know, they, they really didn't like me because uh, one time I was I was married and me and my wife went to the temple. They had a big speaker going to be there that day. And you know how they used to separate mm -hmm. people. They'd have the light skin over here, the brown here, and the dark here, and the extremely light over here. And so when mm -hmm. me and my wife and I said, uh, you know, we had, we had bought a ticket to get in there. Mm -hmm. And the brother mm -hmm. come on me and says, uh, man, you and your wife, we're going to have to separate y'all. And this and that. I said, what are you talking about, brother? I said, I bought two tickets for me and my wife to come in here and check out this thing and see what you guys got to say. He said, well, you, you, you can't do that. I said, well, then you can get my money back. So they felt like, you know, I was exposing them for what that crap that they was doing. So they let me mm -hmm. sit anywhere I wanted me and my wife. Because <laughs> I told I said, you're not going to. You're not going to make me spend my money. Then you're going to tell me how I can set. And he told me, well, mm -hmm. you got, they try to separate the men and women too. They had a, they yeah, had a philosophy. They do that. They do that. They do that when you go to oh, the They told center. me, he said, if you're center. sitting with your wife, you won't be able to focus on the message. I said, what do you think? I'm stupid. <laughs> I paid to get in here. I'm going to hear the message. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But uh, these yeah. guys, they were, you know, they were, they, you know, they weren't really slick. You had a lot of amateurs. It's just like the Panthers. You know, like uh, were the the people, you know, Huey and all those guys, they were at the top of the, you know, the echelon. And, and they had a bunch of a bunch of pond, bunch of ponds. Yeah, they had a bunch of. But here's the thing: they well, well, let me ask you this. How come the nation of Islam was a threat to the government and the Christian Church isn't? Yeah. Well, I, I think that was more the Christian Church. That was concerned about that because it'd be taken away from them. Because let's not stop. But remember that uh, they only had one entity going up there in Chicago at the onset. But Malcolm opened up centers all over this country, and so the church was feeling threatened by that because people were leaving the church coming to the black Muslims because black people were going through and it was a, a the era too. They and black people would feel like they weren't getting. Yeah, they was feeling like they wasn't getting justice here and they wasn't getting their fair share. And they said, well, I'm going to church and I'm still the Malcolm used to preach about that. You're going into church and 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 you're in there to get saved. And and when you come out here, hell is still out here waiting on you. And so it was a whole and so they were a threat. So it, it even when Martin, see, at that time Martin was was going up, he was getting to be real popular because he had the ear of Lyndon Johnson up there in the White House after Kennedy got killed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, and once Martin, see where the thing started to turn there, once Martin started to realize that going up here asking these white folks for something, ain't gonna necessarily get it. 
he was constantly at the White House begging and talking to these people on the phone. And they and they would start. I remember the uh, what they call the so-called anti-poverty programs, where they give oh, like yeah. a million dollars. They give like uh, Sacramento two million dollars. Well, here and this is what Mark was talking about. He said he, that's why he called Martin them sellouts. He said because two million dollars is not going to correct all the evils in the black community, in no community. Mm -hmm. and he knew that, and he felt like these guys went up there and accepted that. And, and that's why he was pissed off. But after him and Martin met, and by this time, Martin was getting the, the, the picture that these people keep giving him lip service, but they weren't giving him anything. They weren't, there wasn't any real changes being made. And so mm -hmm. they couldn't, and people didn't know that even though Malcolm and Martin met and had the meeting, they couldn't really come together because if Martin come over to Malcolm's way, he was going to lose all of those all that support, you know, white support and those diehard Christians that was not, they were not going to give up Jesus. You understand? So they had to stay separate, but they agreed that we will work together where we can. And that's when, I don't know, when, when they threatened to kill Martin when he went down south there and Malcolm told him, he says, if anything happens, brother, we'll be down there to take care of it. And so mm -hmm. this is when they started to see the cohesiveness starting to develop. And if you listen to all of Martin's later speeches, you can hear it and you can hear the words that he was using that had nothing to do with uh, uh, trying to engage this government. Yeah, he was trying to, you know, it's, he said, what was the speech he made? He said, if we're ever going to uh, get justice or equality, it, it has to be something that does not depend on the sympathies of white folks. So he had given up. On the so-called white establishment, and he was ready no, to go in another direction. So he had given up. Uh, so what is the so-called white uh, establishment? Okay, this government, feared Malcolm. This government actually started fearing Malcolm. This government also feared Farrakhan. They also feared Elijah Muhammad. And all of them well, are they, preachers. Why well, is well, what is what is it that the government is afraid of that all these ministers will do? What is the fear factor that the government says, wait a minute, this thing is going too far, we gotta do something with the bullet or whatever we gotta do with? Why is it that with those 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 cats that brought fear to this government? Well, I think at, at the it, onset at the onset, you, you had crazy, uh, who, uh, what was his name? The, the the guy who was the head of the FBI, who was out there watching the everything. Edgar Hoover. Edgar Hoover. Edgar Hoover. This guy was the one who named these people, you know, uh, the Panthers, the number one Pan enemy to Pan America. Pan and, 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 and the reason why I was for that was because they was afraid that blacks would galvanize behind one of these groups or if all the, you had these three fractions jumping off the Panthers, the Muslims, and then you had Malcolm come over the EOOC. And so can you just imagine that that every day Malcolm was getting bigger? And in fact, when we joined up up there, we said, okay, we're going to work for you. I, you know, we had told them, you know, like I told the guys, I said, I'm not selling no pies and shit. I said, but I'll get out there and work, you know, to bring other brothers in if we have a true message. 
And Malcolm's message was that, hey, if we were going to take care of business if necessary. In fact, it, it, it served little purpose. Malcolm thought that the fruits of Islam, which were supposed to be so tough in the protecting of their people, they didn't do shit because the reality is, is that Elijah Muhammad didn't want to be political. Like when Malcolm did that thing with the police in New York, Elijah Muhammad criticized them for that. He said, we are not a revolutionary. We are a spiritual-based uh, organization. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and Malcolm said, well, what am I going to tell the people? We are here telling the people this and, and that we're going to lift ourselves up and support each other and, and protect each other. But yet when something happened to them, we have to say, ain't nothing we can do. And so, but, yeah. and they were, they were fearful of Malcolm, but then they started to fear Martin because at the onset, Martin was not political. When Martin went down to Tennessee for that garbage strike, they yeah. told him not to get involved in that. They had even, he had been getting threats, regular. And they, everybody thought it was from mm -hmm. the government. Do not get involved in that stuff. Because then Martin went down there and he straightened that mess out. But they was afraid of the master plan. The master plan was to somehow affect Wall Street. Now, how were they going to do that? They had come up with this scheme where they were going to uh, they were going to fix the uh, get people to join, and people were joining like flies then. And they had figured out that if we could keep people from going to work for one day for one week, we can bankrupt Wall Street. So. When you start to threaten the establishment on that level, then it's time for you to go. It's time for you to yeah, die. And and like with Robert Kennedy, when they kill him, like I met Robert Kennedy, you know, when I was up there in Boston, uh, with uh, he was Rosa Greer was his his bodyguard or, or something. But mm -hmm. Robert was much more uh, a revolutionary than his brother. Jack was not a revolutionary; he was a politician. Robert was a revolutionary because remember he came in and went after Hoffa and all the mobsters and everybody, and they said, yeah. "Oh, we got to stop well, this white boy. He is he getting too out of hand, and that's why they killed him." They said, "We can't even let him get into the presidency because we'll be in real trouble." So, uh, you know, that was a turbulent yeah. time. It was a, a if you lived through it, you 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 feel like you. Uh, you know, you 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 have the information, you have firsthand information, and it's not something you read in a book, you know, because you were talking to people who were involved in these different movements. In fact, Bobby Seale came to Connecticut when I was running the uh, the American Black Benevolent Association. He wanted to join up with us because we weren't we weren't doing uh, the Black Panther thing. We were we were doing the Black Panther thing, but we was doing it more on an economic level. We was training guys come out of the jail and out of prisons and the women who was on ex-drug addicts and stuff. And we was putting them into training classes, teaching them how to dress, putting them in shirts and ties and creating our own business. In fact, we had even went as far as to, uh, 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 we, um, what was it, American Insurance Company was going to be our, our backer. We want to start a black insurance company and a black bank and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh man, so it, it was popping then, you know. And Bobby came up and he said, "Hey man," you know, I talked to him. He said, "Man, I'd like to join y'all." But at that time, they had him hooked up with that uh, a murder of that police officer. And he said, "If I come in with you guys, I'm only going to draw attention to you guys." And that's oh, why you he did. You talking about Philadelphia? You talking about Philadelphia? Mamie Abdul Jamal? 
No, no, no. He no, Bobby Seal. Oh, Bobby Seale, okay. They, they had him, a, are you familiar with the Chicago 7? Yeah. Yeah, well, Bobby at that time was wanted for murder in Connecticut. You know, if you went to New Haven, man, you guys think that Oakland was a Panther town. In New Haven, they had a Black Panther office on every corner. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was, it was popping up right there, brother. That's where the revolutionaries. That's where the revolutionaries used to go and hide out at, up there in Connecticut in the woods and stuff. You know, Yale University. Wow. You know, yeah, it was a trip. Let, let me ask you this, because you were there during that period of time. Vice Muhammad, Malcolm, Martin. What was the goal of all three of the matter of fact, let's throw in fire comes to, to this very day. One by one, mm -hmm. what is the end goal for each one of them individually for black folks? Start you with my personal, personal assessment. Yeah, your, your personal assessment championship ring now we succeeded what would it have been taken for each one of them to have declared victory i think that uh elijah muhammad them at the at one point had was declaring victory for what they wanted they wanted an organization where they could this was his way of bringing all of that black enterprise that black you know economic power if people started to buy in black and you know and buying from them, and that's what he he was trying to do something very similar to what Marcus Garvey was, but on a different plane. He, you know, Garvey was trying to get money from everywhere, you know, and uh, and he was talking about you know Pan Africanism. Uh, I think that uh, Elijah Muhammad wanted to get, build one of those mega of things like these big mega churches that raise billions and billions and billions of dollars every year and he wanted to contain and he wanted to set up there as the king and that's what he was and and everything was going along great until things started to break open during the sixties you know the freedom ride and 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 then uh the police was really you know people talk about riding a king they was whipping people like that on the corner every day back then see you could just get your brains beat out just from speaking back to a cop then. And they would they would pull raids on the Muslims on the corner selling bean pies and beat them up and take their pies and money and all that kind of stuff. And But see, what happened was people was fearful of them because you got to understand that this is predominantly a Christian country. 
The Muslims came out of the 40s and 50s, and they was reaching their zenith in the 60s. And, and so people were afraid of them. Black people were afraid of them. And so you know that how the white establishment felt about that, and, and Hoovenham was on top of it. But then they, they began to realize that these people were not really going to be of any harm to them because they were still subjected to this system. Everything that the Muslims had, it wasn't like it was Gavi where you had buying ships and sailing to other entities and, and bringing in product. They were still had to buy everything that they had from the white establishment. So once they realized that, you know, they actually, in fact, people was a Hoover. They don't want him to leave these guys alone. We can watch them and see what they're doing. And they're not going to do anything that's violent because uh, the minute that Malcolm started talking about fighting back, Elijah Muhammad them know, oh, wait, no, shut up, sit down. We, what did uh, Elijah Muhammad say when Malcolm spoke about uh, Kennedy getting killed? Hey, we don't want to make these white the Yeah, we don't want to make these white folks bad. So he had what he wanted. He had what he envisioned. This, this He's like one of those uh, kings over there somewhere where he got him a harm of women. He got an organization, a national organization that was built on the back of He said, we had a good place. Yeah. But Malcolm was sincere. And the thing about it is nothing, and people always used to say, there's nothing worse than a reformed drunk. There's nothing worse for the, you know, for the, for the society, uh, especially being as crooked as it is, than somebody who's a reformed person who's been to jail and who's educated themselves and have made the uh, decision that I'm going to be a part of the solution versus, the, uh, you know, I'm not going to be a part of the, the problem anymore. So nobody mm -hmm. can contain him. And for a while he was in the Muslims, they were able to contain him. But these other brothers like Farrakhan, uh, he brought Farrakhan into the Muslim. He taught Farrakhan everything he knew, you know? And so, but these guys started to get jealous of Malcolm because he was getting all his PR. He was on college campus. He was speaking at Harvard. He was speaking at DeKalb. He was speaking everywhere. And he was on TV all the time. And the reason they had him on there, it wasn't because they were trying to promote Malcolm X or the Black Muslim. What they was trying to, they, they would always bring on all these professors on there, Black professors and different people to try to discredit Malcolm. But Malcolm always made all yeah. of them look like idiots. So yeah. when Malcolm was fighting the revolution, but that was the early part of the revolution for him was to get the message out there and tell people that, hey, we got your back. We got your back. But then he started to realize that Elijah Muhammad said, no, we ain't got their back. We are we're not that kind of organization. We are a religious organization over here trying to save black people. But you're still uh, religious. Yeah. You still you. But you're still involved with this, this system that has crippled the black man all this time because you still have to go through him for everything that you get. And so once Malcolm started to realize that I am not going to be able to, to achieve the goals of freeing black people really, as long as I'm in the Muslims, it wasn't a matter of them kicking him out. They could have let him back in, but Malcolm wouldn't have went back in because he knew that especially after he went to Mecca, See, you had to understand these people were brainwashed. Remember when Malcolm said he went to Mecca and he sat down with eye guys with eyes as blue and his skin as white as snow, and they treated him like a brother? See, they've been taught all this stuff, you know, about 
yeah, white folks is the devil. And white folks, while they didn't like that, they didn't mind it because we know what these people think. We know what they're capable of. And they had no weaponry to be a threat to anything because if they had tried anything, they would have brought the National Guard and the army, the military, whoever on, on them. But with Malcolm, what he had in mind, they would have had to go get some weaponry because he was talking about, wait a minute, if they're gonna if they're gonna kill one of ours, we're gonna take out one of theirs, and that was his belief. And so uh, Malcolm was just a, a, a true revolutionary person, and uh, and Edward Farrakhan, uh, he pissed me off because I remember when he came on TV. Uh, right after Malcolm got killed. I mean, you know, at that time, I could have been encouraged to go and fire his ass up. Uh, he came on TV and says, uh, you know, the white folks was talking about the Muslims had had Malcolm murdered. And see, this is why Malcolm's daughters thought tried to kill him. Yeah. Farrakhan was in it. He came on TV and says, well, how dare white folks come in here and tell us how to deal with a traitor? I don't know if you remember it. You, you could probably mm -hmm. see it right now, mm -hmm. but he came on. He, he says, contradicted himself. Yeah, he said, he wanted to turn around and say, Oh, well, no, I had nothing to do with it and all this crap. He was talking plenty of crap right after Malcolm got killed. Yeah, he was that's instigating right. them phone calls and everything. Yeah, and that's why uh, uh, Elijah Muhammad had to pull him back. You know, hey, we don't want to draw, draw that attention to us, you know, and so that, that left. You know, doubt in a different people's fractions minded. Is it the CIA? Is it the FBI? Is it the Muslims? Or is it the, the New York Police Department? Is it a combination of all of them? Well, when police was told to pull back and not be on duty that night, so that right there shows you there was a, a conspiracy laid out by mm -hmm. some factions. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and then when you listen to some of the stuff people reported about the autopsy, and and the, and the CIA renting that hall above uh, Audubon Ballroom one week before Malcolm was supposed to speak. They never used it for anything, so why would they be renting it? So I mean, you yeah. know, it's, yeah. uh, it's supposed to be this brother from New Jersey, from Newark, that was part of the yeah. assassination team. It's supposed to be walking around freeze the daisy. Yeah, well, Farrakhan, you know, a lot of people don't know Farrakhan lived in an all-white community out there. His kids went to all-white schools. You understand what I'm saying? Farrakhan is living the life he want to live. He, he he's the major speaker for the Muslims. They ain't no threat to nobody, although they don't like it when he says stuff that's uh, what they call anti-Semitic and all that kind of crap. Mm -hmm. They really know who he is. He's contained. They're not frightened of Farrakhan. They was afraid of Malcolm. They was afraid of Martin. They was afraid of where Martin was going, and they knew where, where Malcolm was going. So that was my assessment yeah. of that, that stuff, man. What, I, what was Martin? What was Martin's uh, game plan for victory? What well, did he? Want? It changed. It changed because at first he was talking about integration, and we, you know, we can all do this together, and black kids and white kids walking down the street old hands, and and that while that may still have been an aspect of of his party, he realized that that. These things were never going to come true if he had to, you know, expect that there would be some support from the federal government. And that's when he started to pull back. That's when he started to become political. That's when he got involved with the garbage strikes 
And, you know, before if you before that period, you never heard Malcolm say anything against the government. He was always working with the government, which was the reason why he had got labeled during the early 60s by Malcolm them as a sellout because they felt like, hey, you you up there playing uh, pussyfoot with these guys. They ain't going to do nothing. You know, they're going to tell you what they want to tell you, but they never give up anything, you know, and they're giving up crumbs. And so Martin, really, at, the, at, the, at that time, Martin thought that, you know, a maturation, uh, this melting pot was uh, through peaceful methods was 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 the ultimate goal. But he realized at some point that politically that was not going to happen. And that's when he started to change his 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 tone and, and how he spoke to the community, and that's what got him killed. Here's what I'm, I'm hearing from you, brother. All four of these brothers, I, I give all four of them credit for their intellect, their wisdom, and being able to be a leader of, of Black folks. Now, here's the problem. Mm. None of them. Well, here's one other thing. One other thing before you go into that, it was actually that Martin them who designed the program that they were going to use to 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 achieve uh, equality. It was uh, Byron Ruskin, I think, was the head of that thing. He was out of New York City, mm-hmm. and the reason yeah. he the reason he got discredited was because they remember they caught him out here in Hollywood. With a couple of men in a car, gay naked or something, and and even That'll though he <laughs> he was he, he was behind the scenes, he was the mastermind behind Martin Luther King's them movement though. Oh yeah, yeah. Martin was just a country preacher. He would went to school up there and educated himself, could articulate a message real well, and then when he got with these people, they were putting together the process, you know, but. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, I remember uh, what, what was his name again? I can't, I can't think of his name, but uh, Byron. Byron. He used to see him. He used to be. He used to come up to Smalls Paradise back in the day. I was back there when Adam Clayton Powell and them used to come there every day for cocktails. We all used to drink in there together, you know. Uh, Let's see. Here's where I'm coming from with this thing. Where the one comp thing that all where all of them failed was economics. Mm-hmm. And this should have been a scenario, especially with Martin and um, and also Elijah Muhammad per se, because they were the two that rose up the magnitudes of the people. I've they should have collected a dollar from every black person any and everywhere and well, bought up all the land possible in, yeah. Alabama, in Alabama or Georgia or Mississippi. And what they should have done was create a black economy in one of those slave states. And create this economy with agriculture and, and all the other various trades that it takes to support that 
and, and along with the banking system and everything else, and made a black economy inside of economy here in the United States. The religious aspect of it, whether it was Christianity or Islam, is, is a cleansing thing and should have been left as a cleansing thing to get that Negro out of you. But now, once we go through that ceremony on Sundays, then we got to roll up our sleeves and go to work for the next six days to build up this black economy. And I think that if they would have been working towards those goals, I think that this would have been a whole different ballgame. Now, the only other problem with that is when you put black folks in, a, in an environment where everything is synonymous, unanimous, and, and, and monolithic, you make yourself a target like in Tulsa in 1919, 1920, 21. And when they wanted to get us, it was we were an easy target in Tulsa. When they came in and bombed us out of there, burned us up, shot us up. That's the only downside of building a monolithic black economy. But that is the thing that was needed. And it's like you were saying, though, there was no jobs in Brooklyn. Mm. And if we could have bought Atlanta or Georgia, or Mississippi, and then started bringing our people into that area to build that economy. And if they didn't bomb us in the process once we got successful, I think that it would have been a much, much uh, uh, better day, even to this very day uh, right now. And, you know, we've had black economies, we had it in Tulsa, we had it in, in Harlem, and we had a little one here in Oakland on 7th Street. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 7th Street was, uh, it wasn't big as Harlem was or that Harlem Renaissance, but they had some things jumping off down there on, on, on 7th Street. Oh, yeah, man. Harlem used to be, uh, you know, when I was in Harlem, that was the one thing about it. Uh, it was just, it was a lot of stuff going on. But still, uh, white folks controlled most of it. It's like, yeah. even, even Trump, it's like the, even the numbers, the illegal numbers we used to run to, to make a few dollars to keep them uh, you know, starving was controlled by the Italian mob. The Italian mob worked for the Jews. A lot of people that be giving the Jews slack. The Jews controlled all that madness. Because when I went to Boston, I got in tight with those Jews and I didn't want for nothing. I'm telling you, for the six or seven years I was working with those people, my pockets was fat every day. You know, that's the way they operate. But when it comes right down to it, even if you look at uh, people like Frank Lewis and Bonds and all these multi-gangsters, the, the mobsters that was out of Detroit, uh, they were not the head pin. Frank Lewis, them, and all those people, uh, you know, all they, they glamorize all that stuff in the movie. They were still more or less controlled by that right. system. Right. By that system. Right. And I think that this is what, what made Malcolm 
separated him from the rest of them. Malcolm was talking about forming militias. If they mess with our people in Alabama, we'll send the militia down there to fight them back. If they mess with our people in Mississippi, we'll send them down wherever. And see, that's what made him a bigger threat. And they had to get rid of him fast because had he got this, uh, you know, this organization off the ground, half of the people in the black Muslims was coming over to Malcolm. They were coming over. And, and and Elijah, that's why people think the conspiracy was between Elijah Muhammad, law enforcement, the FBI, CIA, or whoever, that they all had a part in, in taking Malcolm out. Because he was he was the biggest threat in terms of us achieving some semblance of, of, of freedom and justice and being able to fight back. You know, none of the rest of them was talking about that. Malcolm was the only one that was talking about that. Uh, you know, so uh, and 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 not only that, he was not just talking. He was more or less like Gavi. He was talking about international. That's why he went to Africa and met with all those African leaders to find out will you support us if we need this, if we need this, whatever we need. Because there are some rich countries over there that he could have been getting stuff from, and that's what Malcolm was trying to set up and organize. See, see, brother. You know. Riku and court. Yeah. That question that I imposed to you because I'm going to carry it forward. And because I I look at all four of these brothers, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, Elijah, Malcolm, Tarka, and, and Martin, and all of them paved the way for us be here today. Well, you left out and one. It should have been five. Kwame Turi. Kwame Turi. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I was saying that yeah. at the top of the food chain is those four. Then you have a whole lot of those up underneath. All right. But the ones that the movies and the books are, are made from are those four cats right, right there. Those are the ones that are in, in the history book. But right now, we carry forward to now, with me kind of growing up as a youngster during that era, and then studying this stuff from the 60s until today, and realizing now in 2020 where the real problem is, and the problem, bottom line problem, is one word, economics. Yeah, it's it's and, economic. But I think that in order to to build that economic thing that you're talking about, you would have to have the mindset of a Malcolm Marcus Gavi mixture. Forgot that. You know, I got it yeah. right here at www.t25cl.com. All right, right brother. Yeah. Okay. That is the product of we're born with this. T25Sales.com or T25Sales Entertainment is a byproduct of all those cats. Mm-hmm. You can take it all the way back to Garvey if you want to. Mm-hmm. Or what they have laid out. Okay, so we don't have to pick up the guns. We don't have to get up here and, and, and slander anybody. Let's carry forward with an economic platform. But you're going to have to. 
You're going to have to defend it at some point in time, though. And that's the whole thing. Just like you said, they bombed uh, uh, Wall Street, the Black Wall Street. They bombed the, the, the city up in, outside of St. Louis that was all black. They they burned them out down yeah, in Florida. Yeah. You've got to, you, it, without something to defend you, when you build those things up, you, you're going to wind up in the same situation. We have to have security. See, now, what, what you sound like right now, one brother that comes to mind now is Muhammad Ali. When Cassius Clay, he was a fighter, and became Muhammad Ali, and when the mobsters wanted to grab him at that point mm -hmm. in time, because he was a monetary source, mm -hmm. they couldn't do it and, and and if you can see, like even what Herbert said, if you come mess with one of us, we're going to take out 10 of you. Yeah. But and so mm -hmm. the, the, the mafia couldn't touch Ali. They could have touched Clay. Mm -hmm. They could have got Clay. Well, uh, you know, they were but at they that time. Ali. Yeah, they, they, were, they were, I guess at that time, it would have been thinking about more or less a race war or something. But I'm talking about preparedness uh if we have a black bank and a black uh setup like the chinatown here in in oakland but we have it black we have to be able to defend that we have to be able to make the rules and process that that, that dictates the activity that go on within that realm and and you can have all the economics you want because we've had banks we've had black insurance companies we've had all that stuff but we weren't able to defend it. We because have we've got to get past this notion that somehow we're going. We have this invisible shield around that's going to protect us. That all we have to do is educate ourselves, and that's what Mark was talking about. Sure, we need to educate ourselves, but we need to be ready in case they come after us. Because the cats that failed, they didn't study the art of Sun Tzu. You yeah. don't start a war without an army. That's right. You got and to have often heard me say that when it's time for us to roll, I got to have my, my front line. I got to have my offensive line. I got to have that. Well, you yeah. know, in order to formulate something like that, you've got to deal with uh, the mindset of the average John Doe, African, so-called African-American, black, whatever you want to refer to him as. For me, at this particular point in time, and a lot of people might disagree, and I, I, I welcome to that, but most of the scholars that I know who are really sincere about revolution, whether it be economics or whether it be uh, security, the one thing that they all have to agree on, that stuff will not happen until we have a total, uh, what is it? Uh, a total revamping of how we think. In order to do that, you got to take them away from the religion, you got to take away from Islam, you got to take them away from Christianity and all these things. Because, in fact, I was just reading a book called The Destruction of Christianity is the Destruction of Spirituality. And what it does is Christianity took our mind away from us and gave us a, a leaning post to lean on when we should have been leaning on our own thinking, our uh, 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 pineal gland. 
everything that we need is in within the framework of our brain. It's in there. It's in that gland. It's in that so-called third eye. And you can you we have got to get people to figure out and you don't have to figure it out because there's much material around to help you to reclaim that that power, that cleansing necessary for you to move forward. Blacks ain't going to never move forward. They're not going to fight. They're not going to do anything until you get them away from the Christianity. Be sure you have a few people rise up on a personal level and say, well, they killed my sister. They, they killed my mother or whatever. But I'm talking about we, in order to ensure that that is not a war, you have to prepare for a war. What you were just saying. We have got to be able, they've got to know that if we have a, a black town downtown Oakland, that if they come in there with some crap that they're going to be meet force with force. You know, and, and there's no other way. Here's the thing about that Christianity, because you know, it, it really kind of makes me sick because it's the biggest platform for cognizant dissonance in this country. It is. And, you know, because when I talk about this, I go back, I take it to a historical context when I'm talking, especially to older Christians. You know, we got drafted into that Christianity thing once we were brought over here on the boat. We weren't studying no Christianity on the West Coast of Africa. No. We were forced into that all the way up through 1865. Well, even, long, even long before that, if you look at the, the Christian church and King James and Constantine, them, when they came up, when they had the, the, the what is it, the uh, the Knights of uh, the Council of Nicaea, where they went in there and put this, this indoctrination together, once they came up with that, the, the purpose of that was to make it law. People don't understand that it was against the law to worship any other you know, religion except the one that they designated for you to do. There was a whole lot of brothers killed. Long before we come here, long before we come here, they were killing our people. And even in, if you look at the whole, the Muslim thing, when they came into North Africa, they killed you if you refused to accept Islam. They killed you. Christians oh. did the exact same thing. And so, we are still running around being participants uh, in these entities that have totally destroyed the mindset of our people in terms of their connectedness to the original creators, the gods. And right, that's that. Yeah, yeah. See, and here, here's where I'm going with this. I mean, we were forced to do that up to 1865. After that, we had freedom of choice. When we walked off of those plantations, why didn't we let the Christianity go after the plantations got shut down? We, well, I don't we, think, yeah, we, I don't we think it was a right then and there. And well, would you say, would you say it's a choice that a person has if they can't even comprehend? the real from the unreal to them christianity is real to those people who believe islam is real they believe it's real so you asking somebody to so to what you're really doing it is so inundated into a, the essence of who we are when you go up and challenge even you know that yourself if you go up and you challenge these religions with facts these people will fight you to the death 
to hold on to it. So you can't say that they had a choice because in in the, in the realm of 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 understanding that they had a choice, but you got to understand that's why I say ninety five percent of our people, I guarantee you, don't have a clue about a lot of the stuff that we talk about. The stuff that come across my thing every day that people out there. That's one thing I always liked about Kwame Aturi. He was an educator. He was an educator. He didn't rise to the the level of modern or these other people, but he he knew that some kind of way, one of the things that we used to do when I first come to Oakland back in the early, I came in 70, 71. I was in the All African People's Revolutionary Party. We had to participate in African studies every week. We had to present, we had to read books. That was part of his program. A lot of the stuff that I learned, I learned from there. When I was wanting to be engaged with Malcolm in, I was being engaged, I guess, more or less on more on a, a emotional level, but I learned a lot of stuff through Kwame Turi. You know, I learned to read. I studied Amos Wilson. I studied uh, Du Bois. I studied Jackson, you know, uh, Dr. Ben, you know, all these guys. But I didn't do that with uh, until I, I came in contact with Kwame Turi. Well, okay, let's let's fast forward to 2020. Knowing now, we know that Christianity was a made-up construct. Mm-hmm. It's quite evident. Why would intelligent brothers, say like Michael Eric Dyson, who is now a, a Christian preacher, and a, a, a few other cats. All of this stuff is so verifiable now. Why would somebody now in 2020, when all this stuff is verifiable, and knowing now that it was all a concoction with King James, with the Pope, yes, and there at the, the, the meeting there at Nicaea, that was all a concocted lie. So why would they continue to perpetrate it now in 2020? I understand about 1865 when they didn't know no better because they kept eating chitlins and pig feet. But they and had the, a choice. And, and the same thing now. They mm-hmm. have it, it is all there in front of you. The chitlins mm-hmm. and the pig feet. You had to do it prior to 1865. Christianity, you had to do it prior to 1865. But now in the year 2020, to be a part of Christianity, which is a Western European construct, we as a black person in this country have to be out of our minds. What We are. This is what they talk about. They talk about Psychosis, and you know what psychosis is, right? Psychosis is is the inability to distinguish the real from the unreal. Christianity is not real, but because of the thousands of years of indoctrination of the planet now, Christianity is, is the number one religion in the world. You know, so therefore, 
this is the exposure that people have from the very word when they come up on the planet, when they drop out of their mother's womb and their parents don't do it any different. They continue to promote this stuff. You got people now, you got a young people who are, are standing out and studying and reaching out. And I like that. And that was one of the things that was going on in the early 70s year. People were reaching out and studying. Now you don't have any of that stuff going on. Mm -hmm. You don't have any of that stuff going on. Why? Don't we want to know what's going on? You have to understand that time is, there is no such thing as time. Yesterday, right now, and tomorrow is all the same. You can't go back to yesterday and you can't go to tomorrow until it's time for you to get there. So the only thing you have is the present right now. And if you ask the average person, what do you want to do? What would you do different with your life if, if you had the power? In order to get the power, you've got to get the information. That's why there people use that term, knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. Because if once a person understands who they are, you know, understands the basis of who they are as a human being, you won't let somebody defile that. But these people, they could be graduated from Harvard, from Yale, from uh all these schools out here, and they come out knowing nothing except how to make a dollar. And some of them can't even make a dollar, got a couple of degrees. But if 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 you were to talk to them about being free or independent, uh, most of them would think, especially if they had, you know, was pretty financially secure, would tell you that I'm pretty safe, I'm, I'm free, until the police pulls them over and beat the shit out of them or kills one of them's son or daughter or something like it, all of a sudden they realize, wow, I didn't know this could happen. They didn't know it could happen because they didn't want to know it. They live in an unreal world. America is unreal. It's a lie. The, 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 the foundation of it is uh, destroys people. It doesn't lift people up. The people who are at the top are the people who've always been at the top. And that's the way it is. And if we can't see that, if you get up in the morning and you don't realize that these people are controlling everything that I do, my existence, my living quarters, if you can't see that, then that means that when you're suffering from the psychosis that we're talking about, you can't identify when somebody is kicking your ass and when they're not. What did Rodney King say when the police beat the shit out of him down there? Can't we all get along? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Everybody can get along except you. You get the ass. They kick in your ass, but you want to get along. And see, that's <laughs> the stuff that has brought us to this year dependency stage where we were sitting, sitting around thinking that somehow these governments or these systems that are in, in play is somehow going to save us from this. The only thing that's going to save us from that is this thing up here. This thing up here. But we've got to get the information. And we got to get to and the one thing I, I realized and I, one of the things I've always felt and from when I worked in the school in the early days when I first come here, we've got to get these kids in kindergarten. Because they come out of homes that are dysfunctional. Their parents don't know shit. No, no criticism of them. They're doing what they're doing with what they their limited knowledge. But their kids come out there totally unprepared. And one of the things I learned about teaching and interacting with young kids 
is that they are a ripe, uh, a fertile field for information to change all of this. But I've been in schools where me and Dr. Adams used to try to teach the kids that stuff, and parents would come up there and say, but I don't want my son learning that shit. I just, he needs to get a job. You understand what I'm saying? To show you how the indoctrination affects your your perspective, your view of the world and where you what your place is in the world and where you're going to be in that world. We had people come and say, no, don't teach my kids that shit. We, I, I'm glad that you guys are doing this, uh, being up here to help the kids, because we used to take the kids on camping trips. We take them out on boats and, and, and all of this stuff in an effort to teach them about the world, the earth. And what they needed to do unless they wanted to continue to live in the uh, Havens Courts, uh, the West Oaklands or the East Oaklands and all this stuff. You know, and, and even if you just look at a brief history of Oakland, there was a time when you couldn't go above. Uh, uh, what's that? Uh, San Landro Boulevard out there. You understand what well, black folks couldn't even go above that. Mm -hmm. yeah. That was back in the day when Oakland was West Oakland was really a township of his own at that time. And, yeah. and you, you know, you can take Bancroft, you know, you go across 98, mm. you know, you start getting towards 106. Yeah, you, you know, you the ghetto aspect of it, but all of a sudden, when you hit that certain street, yep. when it starts converting into San Leandro, everything changes. I used to live on Crescent Court out in San Leandro back in the 70s. The police used to follow yeah, me home. I, no, I used to go to, I get off work at 11 o'clock at night. I was working at Highland Hospital. The police used to follow me all the way to my door every night. <laughs> this was back then. <laughs> <laughs> they to, did. Get you home, to get you home they safe. They picked me up. Somehow, like they were was waiting on me to get off the freeway. I'd get off at 150, 150th Street and come down and go, you know, they would somehow a cop car would always follow me all the way to my door. And it got to the point where I said, thank you, officers. Uh, yeah, yeah, thank you. Looking <laughs> <laughs> after And you know, it, it's like we don't see shit when it's right in front of us. And that's because we've been blinded by the light, the light of Christianity, the light of Islam, the light of of these um uh, what do you what do you call them? Uh, cults is what they are. We've been blinded by these cults and we can't see our way out of it, even though it's not doing anything to change the, the lifestyle that we live. It's not doing anything to keep our children alive. It's not doing any, not one thing. And yet we hold on to it. In fact, I think who was it wrote about that? He said that uh, we can be treated so bad because of the indoctrination till we will fight the person who comes in and try to change it. And if you go out, if you think it's a lie, go out there and start to promoting the philosophy that by which you believe in and see how many people come out against you. Because even in Connecticut, when I was up there, Bobby and them came up there and we were doing stuff. Do you know that they printed stuff in the paper about us? This is white folks saying that we were nothing but mobsters in suits and told black folks to beware of when not to open their door first because we were going around knocking on every door, every door physically. 
and we go to people's door and they say, no, I read about you guys in paper. I can't let you in and please don't get out of my yard. <laughs> you understand? So release the hound. It's a war, brother. This is the war that we 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 gotta fight, man. It, it's well, but bottom line, I think where you're going with all of this is the power structure of America wants us to remain docile mm -hmm. and ignorant spiritually. You know, it's okay. You go ahead if you can afford to go to college, you go ahead and get your degree if you want to. You can get a PhD if you want to. We don't care. Mm -hmm. But do not try to change this system. The system. And everybody benefits from it except for us. Every group. I don't care if you're Jew or what you are, Japanese. The Japanese bombed the United States and they still paying the Japanese. Well, what happens, brother, is the 12, 11 or 12 ruling families of this world, with the Rothschilds and all the rest of them, mm -hmm. they're at the top part of the, the pyramid. Right. Everything else, every company, every bank, every religion, every person, every group, comes under those families. Yeah. They control everything. I was listening to rich guys in the world. Was it Juan? I don't know if it was Juan Buffett or whoever. And they was asking him about his investments. This guy has investments in everything that we do. Yeah. In insurance. As, and uh, ain't but a few real, families. Real, real, real estate. A few families about 3% of the population on the planet that control that have investments in everything that's necessary for us to live. Right. And Malcolm said it best. There has never been in the history of the world. I was always, I loved Malcolm because he read. And once you become a reader, you understand the necessity for reading. He said, there is absolutely no way, there's no way, and it's never happened in the history of the world. You can go back thousands and thousands of years where a group that was in control, had the power, would relinquish any parts of that to the people that they had power over. They was not gonna do it. They never did it without a war. And we have an expectation of something is going to happen, and somehow somebody's going to wake up one morning and say, "Oh my God, we've just been so inhumane, and we're going to pay you back." It ain't going to happen. Well, see, well, see you guys, I've listened to you guys. You guys have hit on so many points. Um, uh, you know, uh, so many, so much orientation on 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 subject matter that's. That, that the people need to hear. And, and um, I, I, I'm thinking back to what you guys talked about. Uh, you brought it up, Andre, and, and of course you addressed it, Dr. Quick, when you guys were talking about Kwame Toure, uh, AKA Stokely Carmichael, Marcus Garvey, Medgar Evers, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, uh, Elijah Muhammad, Malcolm X, 
I think I mentioned him already. And and any you know those main people over the over the decades that we've looked at for leadership, and the one thing that they all share, even though they even though they take somewhat different lanes, is one acknowledgement of the of the origins of struggle against enslavement and colonization of indigenous diasporic African descendants and the worldwide movement that aims to like uh, encourage bonds of solidarity. And this dates back to what was and is still known, still exists, is, is Pan-Africanism. Because Pan-Africanism is a formula that all of them realize to, to one degree more than the other, but for us as African people living here in the in the Americas, um, economic equality, economic power, education, and uh, controlling our our own dollars are the only things that are going to give us what we cannot expect to get from this country. But but that's going to come from us. It doesn't, no matter who the leader is, that's going to come from us educating, finding a way to reach out to the youngsters coming up and to people across the table from us. And, and, and it's not necessarily marching down the middle of the street, blowing it up like we used to. You know, we, can't, we, can't lo- we can't load our guns up and march on Sacramento like the Black Panthers did, even though white folks can walk in in a, in a government building, uh, proud boys and all them, without the police responding at all. Can you imagine a bunch of black people? Reagan changed the rules when 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 uh, Huey and them walked marched on uh, Sacramento like that. So, what it's going to take for us is to do it like an underground railroad. We're going to have to start doing it at local levels, and, and but it's going to take people within our, you know, our culture, certify themselves, like, like you were talking about, Dr. Kwaku, with starting schools and doing things like that. The frustration, the powder keg has been there. It, 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 you know, the, the flame goes out, somebody relights it. You know, at some point, this explosion has gotten as far along as I can remember it in a long time, if, if at all, with this idiot that was just in the, in the White House. And some changes are going to come uh, that won't be controllable at some point in time because we keep they keep knocking us down. We keep getting back up through all of this stuff. We keep getting back up through all of this stuff. But the wiser we get, the more economically sound we get. We have a lot of people. We have more black millionaires now than you could ever that I thought I could ever comprehend. But what are they doing? I'm sure LeBron James started a school. They're doing good things. You know, there's a lot of them that are doing things, and they're staying, and some of them are doing things and staying silent because they don't want, they claim they don't want, you know, to, 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 to take all the glory. But the fact of the matter is, when you're that rich and you do stuff, first of all, there's a, there's a good tax break that comes with it. So your, your sincerity if you're really sincere in this day and age, you, we, we got to start having more Colin Kaepernick's and more people like that that are going to, because they depend on us for entertainment, 
sports, music, you know, all the things that keep them eating popcorn in between all the money and stuff that they get. We're the ones that's still supplying stuff to them, and, and even though even though we make a, a decent living doing it. But that's the false prophecy in it because once you get settled like your Jay-Z's and all them, Jay-Z gave $300 million to USC and, and, and didn't graduate, from, barely graduated from high school. But all these black colleges in need of money, he gave $300 million to USC. So we got to stop selling out, you know, and all those kind of things. But well, you know, know. I, I, we, we, you know, there's never been a revolution without any bloodshed. And I, I, I think I say that I look at the, the, the young white boy that walked down the street and killed two people up there. And, uh, what and was the that cop thing? gave him some water. Yeah. I, but yeah, to, show you, to show you how this stuff worked, I think it was, I forget how, but it's almost a million and a half dollars already been raised for his defense by white folks. You know, they, they look up. Yeah. And so we have to be armed and ready you know, to protect our communities in the future. We need to form groups, not groups, but we need to form militias uh, to protect our communities and our property and so forth. This guy come out there and kill somebody, and they was even questioning whether or not they was going to even try this fool. So He walked past them with the gun still swinging off his yeah, shoulder. Yeah, so for us to continue to sit back and, 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 and look for these people to somehow become justified uh, and look at our plight and say, well, these people, they know how long we've been abused. They know how long we've been. I was reading stuff the other night about they fed our children to babies, black babies to alligators. They hung black people and, and kept body parts in the world. And then they, they were talking about Nat Turner, talking about this guy, he, he was deranged. If you suffered under the slavery that our people suffered, and he wasn't deranged. I'm like Malcolm. It makes damn good sense. You And if you look at the Bible, look at their Bible. And what does it say about people who go into places and conquer? Uh, in there, they, these people say God told them to go into places and kill everybody, even all the children. And that's what they do. But yet, when one of ours do it, guess what? He's classified as deranged. Nat Turner is the most misunderstood, according to, uh, uh, you know, uh, writers, that is, because they don't know how to pigeonhole they, what they do, because the only one guy interviewed him before he was hanged, and he was a white guy, and what was his motivation? You know? So, but, he wanted the story. Huh? He wanted the story. Yeah, he wanted the story, but we don't know what he claimed that uh, uh, this guy was saying all kind of crazy stuff in there. So that gives them right to say, okay, that time was deranged. And 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 you know what the part that really get me? I saw a professors, black professors, setting up on the air and talk about. Well, we understand that slavery was horrible, but for him to kill kids, and I wanted to grab them and say, go read your Bible. Go read your Bible. <laughs> if you think that turn was so crazy, go and read your Bible. Most people who set up in those churches 
don't read no Bible. They listen to what's being told to them. And they set up and they quote scripture when somebody tell them, read chapter so-and-so, verse one, two, and three for me. They don't understand that you can't get in the middle of a book and get an understanding of the book. You got to understand the book, the whole concept, why it was written, why what something was said at a certain time. You got to understand all this stuff. And people, even the religions that have got them in a psychosis state, they don't even understand that. They they yeah. just even you know, when you, when you, when you know you thought about that. They thought about Nat Turner because he killed women and children. Yeah, and, and you know Denmark Vesting said, "Hey man, then we have to kill the women and children." He says, "You don't kill the nap, you got to kill the nip." Yes. And, and so, and so uh, and when and these people yeah. that are questioning this, like you said, they need to go and study the Bible. What I'm saying is, they just need to. They, they looked on the damn History Channel last Sunday morning when they had this thing on about the men who who built America, mm -hmm. and when those uh, first white folks started coming over here and started slaughtering off all the Indians. Yeah, they would kill little Indian kids and sell their hair for two hundred dollars. Scalp them. And then they turn around and call the, the Indian savages because they scalped them. That damn dude that president, what's his name? Uh, Andrew Jackson. Yeah. Went that, to, yeah. He went into, I think he had Davy Crockett as his scout. Just went in and just slaughtered a whole village of peaceful Indians. Just slaughtered them. And then Davy Crockett and the Indians are savages, right? And the Indians. Well, he said that he was going to book Davy Crockett getting ready to bounce, and Andrew Jackson pointed a gun at him and said, "You take another step, I'll blow your damn head off. You gonna stick with me?" And he was a terrible cat. He would go into a bar, saloon, and just start fights. He was just a damn bully. Mm -hmm. And then later on, he became damn president. And when you see Trump in that certain room, there the cameras, you see Andrew Jackson right over his shoulder. Yeah. But, but these people were vicious. I'm talking about the, the ones in the 1700s and 1600s. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. And, and, and that's, then, why they, that's why they yeah. talk about slavery so lightly. Well, uh, it was the law at that time, and we understand that they shouldn't have happened, but it did happen. It's like, to them, it's like nothing. It doesn't it's like mean a monopoly board to you. You just change the yeah. rules and then and, and try and justify by you know. But yeah. if you turn around and do the same thing, to, if if a if a black man goes out here and rape a white woman, he's the most horrible creature on the planet. When you're talking about people who went out and castrated, hung kids and castrated, cut the insides out, took body parts home and brought their kids out there to witness it. And you, see, you know what the trick? When you look at all them old lynching pictures and you see them little young white kids, look at the expressions on them white kids' yeah. faces. Them little kids look like, this ain't something that's wrong with this. I don't feel, I'm not enjoying myself. You should see the look on them kids. But they, Even but the they grow up in it. They become a product of their They grow up in it. They become a product. I hear grown white folks all the time that talk about, well, what do you expect from me? I, I, I wasn't raised up around black people. That is, if that's your excuse for for the inhumane treatment that black folks receive you know in this country, dog. Yeah. 
you worse. You worse than the attacker. Brother, we could go on, but next week, guys, try to come on here because I got some topics for y'all next week, and we was intend to get to them tonight, but it's gonna be, it's gonna be dealing with uh, the 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 pineal gland awakening and reconstruction of African thought, and Christianity destroys spirituality, and I'm gonna invite a bunch of folks on here and see if we can't get some, some educate some people. Instead of uh, talking to the choir, yeah. All right, brothers. Before you bounce, okay. uh, go ahead. Cool. Talk to uh, Space Force. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You did he tell you what happened to his cousin? Uh, yeah, he had a cousin that died. Yeah, they found him dead in his house or something in, in San Francisco today. I hadn't seen him in about a week or something like that. So I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get into a whole bunch of other stuff with him. I'll follow up again again with him tomorrow though. Yeah. Okay. And so you still can't yeah. get on the show on your computer, right? No, I can't. He, he told me to go to the email that was sent. And I went to the email because you, you click on the email that's sent. And it says, click here to join in the conference. And I clicked in and it didn't join in. It said it was waiting on Koiku to uh, click me in or something like that. Oh, where you were in there. now. You were in. No, I thought yeah. I did, but when I did, no. Well, he told me that Koiku would click me in after I did that, but the, the, the call him and let right. him know. But you, after you I clicked, that, but, yeah, but but I had to wait on him to click me in before I. Really? Yeah. Oh. Okay. I had to wait. So when too. I came in, I well, I could, yeah, I had to wait till he let me in. See, yeah, well, so I know yeah. next. I know on the next one then to, to, to go straight. Yeah, but see, when, 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 you, when you came on, I could see when he came on before there was nothing up there that said he was out there waiting in the waiting room. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll see, once I called, but see, that's because I came in the talk you way. But but after Space Boy told me, don't go in the talk you way. Go to your email address. There's a there's a there's a uh, there's a, uh, a, 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 a click on attachment right there. And it says click here to join conference. And um, if I didn't click, Quaker wouldn't see me, click me in. And then if I click, which I just did, what happened was um, I'm just looking at my own face with the background here and there's nothing right. there. It's just a small little square. Yeah. Well, then you both hit that so, little green bar where it says join conference. There's no little green bar. Yeah, because see, if you got to the part where you can see you on your computer, your camera came on, right? Okay. No, his camera didn't come on. No, no, I'm talking no. about when he's logging in. Oh. See, when I logged it, in. What, 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 you talk, you're, you're talking about when I clicked on the, uh, I clicked on the, uh, on the attachment that was sent to my email address, right? I, I never have to use that. I go to the website. Yeah, but see, I went to the website, and and and, and it definitely that's that's why I was having the biggest problem with the website. I wasn't able to get in at all on the website. When I talked to Spaceboy, he said, "Go to your email address. There's an attachment. You just click up. You just click that, and then it says then it says just join in. And I did that, and Quaker didn't get anything on me. When I went the other way, it wasn't it wasn't responding either way. 
And that, that, that green oh. thing you're talking about, I, there was nothing green, nothing green on here at all. I mean, we're, we're, st we're still on here now, right? So it leaves www.t25. There it is right there. See, if I go in the T25 way, uh, now it says Mothership episode, episode 71. says Watch Live to the right in red. I click on that. Circle spins in the middle. And then now, now it says join. Now it says join online studio. Yeah, hit that. And 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 and, and I can hit the green the green thing that says on join online studio. Yeah, right? yeah. Speak live. Okay. I just clicked on that. Now it's spinning in the middle again, waiting to come up. Yeah, you just gotta wait, and then you'll pop up on the screen. We'll be able okay. to see. Okay, and yet. Now it's showing my face on the screen where I'm looking at myself. I don't see you guys at all. But yeah, you, I don't. Do you see the? Hit the. It should have the join online studio thing again up there in green. It, it, it says join conference in blue below me. No green. Yeah, hit join conference. At all. Okay. Hit, now it says hello, Freedom King. The host will admit you into the conference room soon. And there's a blue box that says leave waiting over here. Huh? You should be popping up on the screen here in a minute. Okay, nothing spinning. I'm just sitting here. It says, Hello, Freedom King. The host will admit you into the conference room. Host, admit me into the conference room. It's recording. Okay. Oh, there it is, right there. So who clicked it? Somebody clicked something. Who just clicked something? I, was, I clicked Somebody. into the conference. You did, but you wasn't up there before. And once you got up there, it said you were in the waiting room. Once I clicked on that, you showed up. Wow, because cause, cause I, I, sat, I sat there for 15 minutes. Oh, I mean, yeah? that, this, is the, this, is the, this is the way I was doing it for the first, first 15 minutes. Yeah. Now I can hear my own voice. Yeah, well, let's, my let's that's your, you didn't hear your doorbell ringing? She should be there by now. <laughs> well, I sent her, I sent her away. Let's, let's check this down and come back on here live next week and then talk it up. I'm going uh, uh, Mr. Harris and all the guys that are going to be on next week. I call them tonight. Mr. Harris, okay. What, hey, what happened to the brother up in Seattle? What's his name? Oh, you're talking about uh, uh, Pastor Warren. I, I send him things all the time, but don't, I don't ever hear from him unless I call him on the phone, you know? Yeah, so, Mr. Harris, uh, brother. Yeah, I'll, I'll that, send something. Who's that, Mr. Harris? Oh, yeah, uh, no, the, uh, the Pastor Warren up there. You remember Pastor oh, Warren yeah. from yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've talked to him a couple of times over the last the last three weeks. We've talked maybe maybe twice. I don't know if his schedule, you know, he's cooking and serving food with his food program thing. I don't know if it's coinciding or you know with the with the show or not, but you know, he's reachable yeah. during the day. Yeah, I know because I've talked to him a couple of times, but he you know, I guess they're busy up there trying to uh, 
save souls and take them take them into the house of glory. <laughs> <laughs> Out there, Puget, Puget Sound, you know, hunting, yeah. hunt, hunt, hunting, hunting wild boar, trying to get some, trying yeah. to get some of that some wild pig feet. Wow. Well, yo guys, well, well, we'll, we'll try it again next week. I learned, I learned a little something. So I, I'll sit yeah. in there and wait for you to click me in if I pop up on the board next time. Yeah. I just, I, I, I'm going to start hooking like up with you around 7.15 or something. Yeah, if you come in there like you did, see, the, the thing popped up said you were in the waiting room. So I just click on the waiting room and you, you're right there. Yeah. Yeah, you sure that big woman breathing over your back didn't fog your glasses up so you couldn't see me? No, I, got, I, got, I, I promised myself I'm going to eat no more pig feet after this year, so I got a, a big pot on the stove. I'm gonna, I got to get to them. I don't want them to overcook because there's nothing worse than overcooked pig feet. What you going to do with the extra pounds you got in the garage? You going to eat some more tomorrow or? or? No, I'm you got, them all, you got all the way, you got all the way up until midnight on the thirty first. Yeah, I'm dropping them off at the at the chief's house because I I know he got one of them big he got one of them big pots. You know the big iron pots that he used to have in the kitchen where they throw everything in and whatever comes to the top. That's what you eat. I got my, I got my barbecue pit in the backyard. That's where I put the pig feet. That's the old barbecue. Yeah. All right, well, let's say good. Yeah, I heard you got a recipe for some pig feet pie. <laughs> well, yeah. No? Uh, pig, uh, you put black eyed peas in there with them or something, you know. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's a big tradition. That's another okay. thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 All right, people, let's, let's chalk it up. This is C25CL Entertainment. All uh, right. Your, oink, your, oink. Network, your network for inform to be informed. And we'll yep. be back here next Tuesday night at 7 30. The mothership. Uh thanks to my chief here, Brother Andre Ward, and my good brother, Brother Corey Jeffers. And my name is Reverend Dr. Ninana Kwaku. Thank you and All have right. a blessing. Take care. Hotel. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.